Welcome to Fiction to Function. I'm Sean Melton. I'm Seth Melton. I'm John Allen Gregory the <laughs> third. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're uh, yeah. Um, so we're uh, in the next episode of our series in which we are trying to introduce the people who are close to us and who we care to have these sorts of conversations with, or rather, more regularly have these conversations with casually. Um, and this one is our friend John Allen. Yeah. We're actually recording this in Chicago, Illinois, right now, with John. We came to visit him uh, because we haven't seen him in a while. John used to live with me, right? Live with us. Yeah, yeah. And a number of other guys, yeah. And a number of other boys. Other boys. And uh, John's one of our closest friends. So thanks for being here, John. Thank you for having us here in your city. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Our podcast. <laughs> Our podcast. Our podcast. Our okay. podcast. Um, I guess we'll sort of start with how we met and kind of formed a relationship, uh, which was through our uh, mutual friend, John Jonathan, as you, yeah. as you call him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you remember exactly what that was like on your end? I don't know how much he, you know, we live, the house that we live in is so, we're so used to people kind of coming in and out and bringing somebody along and then we see them and sometimes they kind of hang around and yeah, we sort of adopt them sometimes not so much, but you were right. especially uh, the right. case of that. Yeah. Uh, I remember I just moved back to f- South Florida and I had grown up in South Florida, but I'd been traveling on the road with my with my dad's job and I finally graduated from high school and around that time we moved back and I reunited with my old friend Jonathan and he had been established there for a while and he was telling me about this new friend group he had um, happened upon yeah and uh, he said that he thought I would get along with them well and I I remember thinking to myself, I, I was pretty skeptical and it sounded uh, like some kind of like, I don't know, commune or something <laughs> and kind of cultish, to be honest, to be frank. But, great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that's out there for the world. Um, but I, but I was also really curious. I like, I, I had been, uh, well, cults are pretty, yeah. <laughs> Interesting, I guess. What? I said cults are pretty interesting. <laughs> I guess. So I'm get a of some weirdos. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I, I'd been craving community, and uh, this, this, uh, this was uh, an interesting opportunity to be able to. Uh, meet this friend group and see like see what it was all about and I remember uh Jonathan he had a car and he picked me up and I I showed up at their front door and he swings the front door open doesn't even knock and I remember there's just like this small living room very small and it's just filled with people and they're just like sprawling out on all the couches and uh, it's dark and yeah, they're, they're yeah, watching, they're, they're watching, <laughs> I believe it was Thor, the, the first Thor movie they were watching. And 
uh, I just remember all in the dark, like all these eyes, like they all turned to me and they look in there and, uh, <laughs> they all greeted me and they're all very welcoming and Hey, who's this guy? Like, and was it at all cultish? No. All right. Thank you. That was very <laughs> nice to put that out there. Um, yeah. And I remember, I remember, uh, being slightly overwhelmed by the amount of people that were, who were there, that were there. And also, um, being surprised by how, uh, caring and attentive the people were there and specifically you, Sean, because you immediately sought me out and wanted to get to know me and gave me your phone number. And I, I was just this like weird, awkward kid wearing an Oxford shirt. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know who the hell I am and what I'm doing, but <laughs> this guy shows an interest in me and, and you just, you can, you continued to invite me over, so I just I kept coming to your front door and swinging it open. Yeah, <laughs> and watching Thor. Yeah, because yeah. um, so, you met John. So was it because of we've talked about this element before, uh, the fact that me and Seth, you know, well, my family, but specifically in terms of the podcast, me and Seth are we're homeschooled. Did right. you meet John because of? Because you were homeschooled, yes. Yeah. And John was homeschooled? Is that right. how you guys met? Right. That's how we met. Um, so yeah. And, what, and, and most people who... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most people, when you, when they're homeschooled, I think they know... Well, maybe they don't all grow up this way, but at least all the homeschooled friends I have, they they kind of grew up in this, um, this kind of uh, uh, exclusive kind of community where... Uh, you kind of all your friends consisted of other homeschoolers because you're not you're not in like a public social setting. For all intents so, and purposes, you're not normal. Yeah, and I mean, unless like your you, life isn't normal, unless your uh, your family really is truly like homeschooling their kids because they don't want them to be a part of society and to be affected by society. Which happens. Yeah, you're you're growing up in this weird milieu of people who. Their, their their only like form of social involvement is either through things like church or homeschool groups. Like I mean, I grew up in like 4-H and. Can you explain what 4-H is for everybody except for like us? Yeah, yeah. There's so, probably some people out there who know what it is, but. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, for me, for me, it was it was just this this gathering of people about maybe like once a week, I would say, um, where we had maybe like seven to eight families with just a bunch of homeschoolers and we were just coming together and like, we would, uh, usually one of the moms would host us at their house and there'd be food and we'd like do like an education portion where some of the moms would teach certain subjects to us and we would just, we'd be, you know, it was, it was like, people just trying to educate their kids and get them to be around other kids so that they don't grow up like maladjusted misfits. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, For the best of their abilities. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so that like, I just, I just remember there being, um, a lot of like art projects and, you know, we would, uh, once a year we'd go to the South Florida fair and we would, show off our um our crafts that they'd have these like exhibit halls and you'd have like uh 
I remember those. Did I you, never was in 4-H. Did you never do it? Yeah. I never did 4-H, mm-hmm. but I remembered going and looking at them. We knew kids who did. Yeah. And so, in a way, like, it was just a true substitute for, like, the the arts, but also the the social aspect of school. And so I didn't really know any different, and I, didn't, I never really felt like I was lacking in my homeschool, like, experience in education, so. Right. And the reason I, I brought up homeschooling in, in, in general is because I think that, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that probably plays a, a good deal into um, the kind of uh, roles that fiction or literature stories, films yeah. played into your life. Yeah. It kind of comes into the, that, that kind of plays into that point. Yeah. And like a huge, a huge point of, um, uh, connection and um like mutual understanding between other uh other homeschoolers was was through fiction was through like things like lord of the rings and star wars and those were like those those stories were like a gateway to be able to like pretty much be friends with anybody um and i think that's the case for a lot of people um but for like the homeschool community, like I think there's like this really strong affinity for fiction because uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think that most homeschoolers I I knew who I encountered they they had these obsessive tendencies about the things that they were interested in, particularly fiction. So yeah, maybe I think that part of it might come from the fact that. If you're not out there, so well, there's probably a few different factors. Like for us, I know that we didn't get a video game system until we were older. Older, yeah. Not real old. Yeah, a lot older than older than most kids our age. Yeah. Uh, did you even have a? Did you ever have a Super Nintendo or anything like that? Yeah, we were we were gifted with a Super Nintendo one Christmas when I must have been about like I would say maybe seven or eight. Oh, so that actually is pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, so we were a little bit older than that uh, when we first got one. But the reason I bring it up is I think that there was were there limitations on how much you could play it. Yeah, I remember when we first got my our GameCube. Um, we, I mean, I, I spent so much time playing Spider Man, and I, mean, I think there's like this Tarzan game I played, and uh, you, whenever you put like a television set in front of me or a computer, I was just lost. And right. And, uh, I remember my mom and dad decided they were like, they made a rule. You're, you're only going to be able to play as much as you read. So you better get to start reading. And, and we did that for a little bit, but it really, it didn't work out because it was, you know, it was too much work for my parents to keep tabs on those things. And you could easily kind of just, do you think so? I kind of like jerked back. For those who are, you know, listening, since this is not a visual medium, because that's similar to what uh, Trevor. Oh, really? Yeah, Trevor had to, he wanted to play video games, and if he wanted to play video games, he had to read a book. And so he would find himself reading a lot, but he enjoyed reading. And that's because you enjoyed reading as well, yeah? Yeah. When I was, was, I mean, mean, yeah. And when I was that young, uh, I don't, I don't remember fiction really taking hold of me. I think it was shortly after that. I think the first book that um, took hold of me was actually a book that most kids read in middle school or even younger, um, The Outsiders. Yeah. And 
uh, I remember I had to write this paper on it and I just, I hated being forced to do any sort of schoolwork and uh, about halfway through it, I fell in love with it and I was excited about writing about it and I saw there was, there was so much for me to learn from it. It was like this completely, um, completely different world and realm that I, uh, I had no, like I had no knowledge or con- conception of up until that point. So, um, I don't know if I ever told you the outsiders was a big deal in our family as well. Really? Yeah. But we were, it was the mostly movie. the the movie, my family, because movies were so popular, especially with my aunts and uncles. I remember, well, I think that's the first time I watched that was with mm-hmm. our uncle Steve. Yeah. Um, he kind of had, assigned role like he was like you remind me of this person you remind me of this person to the kids because there's such a wealth of uh, personalities and individuals like in the story i mean i love the outsiders Mm -hmm. it's excellent um but the reason i brought up the the video game system to begin with is i think that and this is just one theory on maybe why these kids connect with it because obviously all kids do it's not like like we connected with the neighborhood kids we played star wars with the neighborhood kids we played dragon ball z with the star with the with the neighborhood kids it's not as though we're the only people who lay claim to this, you know, affinity for it. But I think that for homeschoolers, I think part of it might come from the fact that when you're a little bit more closed off, you're kind of led to spend more time internally mm-hmm. and kind of thinking about, you know, these like fantasy worlds or things like that. And so but I think, yeah, I think there's pros and cons to it. But at the end of the day, it's like stay at home for a week and find see what you find yourself doing. Yeah, no, probably consist of video games. Uh, yeah, I mean, movies, you're finding ways to entertain yourself. Yeah, right. And it's and just kind of creating this uh, weird subculture mm-hmm. in a way. Right, and so since you're not spending all this time, and, and and there's also a lot of benefits to it. I mean, you know, I'm not by any means. No, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I was a strong advocate or naysayer of homeschooling i think it's just different but i think one of some of the one of the elements that i've recognized with it is that like so here was a positive is that we would our school days were not as long as normal kids school days because we were doing it while we were doing everything else yeah so we weren't sitting there for you know seven eight hours doing school we had the score we needed to do you got it done and then you did whatever the things mm-hmm. that you did. Right. And so a lot of times that meant, I don't care if it was like watching a cartoon or watching a movie or reading a comic book. Yeah. Comic books were probably our uh, biggest go-to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of literature. Right. <laughs> but um, right. anyway, so I think that that might kind of play a, a, a part into it. And, and I want to go into more about how uh, the connection I think we had largely came from that. The, yeah. when, when we started to get along. Right. This, this um, I think that, and I even, you know, you mentioned me reaching out to you. Um, and I think that, I mean, especially, you know, this is, we're talking about what, eight years ago? Yeah. So around that time, I was much more uh, extroverted even than I am now. And, you know, we were just having this conversation the other day where, mm-hmm. uh, if you can't tell, even based on this, like, if you take me and Seth of the two, I'm more extroverted. And I'm more introverted. <laughs> right. And so uh, I think that in, if you're listening to this, you know, if you've listened to more than five minutes of this, you can probably tell that. And I think that there's an element where um, that played into it. But I, it was also this 
there's this piece that there was a natural energy that you kind of brought, which is this um, kind of scholastic or like uh, introspective energy that you have about you in general and about the things that you like that I was drawn to because I really appreciate people who like the things that they like for a reason. It's not anything against people who like, you know, the Marvel movies because they enjoy the Marvel movies. That's fine. Yeah. But it's really nice to kind of say, well, I like it because, and it made me think that, and all those, you know, kind of roads that you can take from being interested in your specific, and that's something that I kind of noticed in you. Yeah. And so fiction was uh, one of the, the big connections that we had. I know that, like for me, one of the thoughts that I kind of go back to, like if I had to, to uh, kind of encapsulate our friendship specifically, like, you know, is when we rented from, we would rent movies from the library, right. which is not something I really did yeah. before hanging out with you. I would, if I really wanted, I would buy it. But right around when we met is when I really started getting more into foreign film and more like kind of like, yeah, at least fringe for what I, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and it was uh, Christoph... Kilsolowski, mm-hmm. the Three Color Trilogy. Uh-huh. And I remember watching all three of those with you in one day. Yeah. And I, I think that's like, it's, it's uh, I've got a picture of it on my Instagram. And I was like, but I, 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 that movie, that moment was so delightful for me. It, it's so funny you brought that up because I was going to bring that very thing up. Uh, and not for the same reasons you brought it up, really? which is that you just thought that that was delightful. But I don't know if you remember, but right after we watched that, and that was this day, I remember it was a Saturday, and I wasn't working that day, and you were s- sick, or you were recovering from a sickness, yeah. and you had taken ill. <laughs> I was taken ill, yeah. And I, I remember we'd watched the Three Colors trilogy, and uh, I'd kind of like fallen in and out of uh, sleep in watching them, but I, and I thoroughly enjoyed them, especially the last one, the um, Red. And... Uh, yeah, I remember it was about, I don't know, like maybe seven or 8 PM. And, uh, I also had picked up psycho at the library and we on, on the, on the, I mean, I mean, just in the moment we just decided, let's just go ahead and just keep watching them. Let's, let's throw psycho in and see what this is all about. And at that point I, I had never seen psycho. I picked that out because growing up, that was the one. Alfred Hitchcock film that was off limits for me. I couldn't watch that one, um, so I was I was very curious. And anyways, that's so interesting. I forgot I forgot that we watched Psycho after that. Yeah, that's great. We'll yeah. put a, a kind of a pin in that and come back to it because before we go too much into actually talking about Psycho, is there because what's interesting too is that you two, mm-hmm. Seth and John, you had kind of a different. Not that film didn't play into it and stuff like that, because I know that it did, but there was a different kind of connection, a special kind of connection that you guys had in terms of music, no. wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. No. Is that what you said? I don't know. Not, I mean... I remember... Uh, well, so, what's interesting is our relation... Me and your relationship, and me and John's relationship, yeah, and Seth yeah. and John's relationship, you guys are... They're so similar. Like, we're yeah. both here visiting you in Chicago together, but there's yeah. also very specific differences to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my earliest memories of coming over to the house was, uh, I remember going over to. I wanted to. I wanted to learn more about this Seth person, and I remember, out of all the people there in this friend group, he was the most 
elusive and mysterious to me because he's kind of just like always on the fringes. Like I remember even like this one time everyone was gathered in the backyard and Seth like had his camera out and he was like walking around and not like interacting with me and like most of the people there, but he was just, and I knew that he was Sean's brother. So I was like, I want to get to know this guy and I haven't even really talked to him much, but I, I remember going to, I remember going inside and going into the back room um, and finding Seth at, uh, there was this desktop computer set up and um, I just, I just sat down on the couch and uh, he had music on and uh, I started listening for a little bit and I didn't recognize it, but I recognized the person singing and it was Chris Martin. And so I brought that up. I was like, so is this, is this Coldplay? Who's this? And uh, Seth was like, no, this is, this is fault line. And it was, yeah, your love means everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, hmm. uh, that, and from there, like that, I mean, the rest is history. That was, the rest is history, that yeah. was, that was the beginning of yeah. our, uh, our, uh, our mutual flame. bond with, through music, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I do agree. I definitely agree with that. With, like that we, we, I didn't mean to say no per se, but I, um, with uh, us having the connection with music, I, yeah, I mean, like, I, I will say that I, I was kind of surprised at uh, the variety of music that you knew and liked, and I was like, okay, I can be about this good. So, <laughs> and then there were also. Uh... Shortly thereafter, all the trips we take to Starbucks and yeah, Starbucks. buying you iced coffee and yeah, thank you, thank you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, the old rickety car I had, and... <laughs> which is still your picture when I call you. That was the it. red one, right? That I, at that at the time it was the Buick that I was no, driving, was, yeah, but right. later it was the Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. okay, that makes more sense. When you said old rickety, I was like, I don't know how to call the Volkswagen old rickety. That's yeah. a, a that was a beautiful vehicle. It was. Um, and so I know we talked abstractly uh, in general terms about our experience with, you know, fiction or stories, films, comics, literature, and uh, specific, you know, homeschool settings. Right. Um, but you as an individual specifically, uh, can you speak a little bit more to how that kind of yeah. framed your life? Yeah. Um, it's funny. Uh, and you're asking me that the first thing that comes to mind is how how much my love and affection for fiction grew around, grew from being around you guys. Um, and actually, Sean, I remember uh, one of the first times I was hanging out with you, I think we were actually going to see our chicks uh, and to get some lunch, and you would ask me, what were the films I were I was interested in and I remember thinking about it for a long time and I'm trying to think of all the good films that I liked and I'm just like ah this guy knows way more about film than I do and I don't know what I'm gonna say oh and I started just like sputtering them off I'm like well I mean Star Wars uh I don't know Indiana Jones <laughs> uh, uh some superhero movies oh Batman Begins uh and and you just you just immediately chimed in and you were like that's great I mean that's what I like uh, and I'm like cool some um, of my favorites yeah um, 
but yeah, I, I, I bring that up to say that, uh, I, I definitely had, I had a love for fiction prior to, uh, being, becoming friends with you guys, but, uh, prior to it, it was kind of under, underdeveloped, so to speak. I, uh, they were only, like, I, you know, I was, I was only permitted to watch certain films growing up and I also was viewing them, analyzing them and like, uh, my, my experience of those films was kind of subject to me alone. Sometimes I had my dad to kind of converse with and talk to about film, but nobody really took it as seriously as I did. So I kind of spent a lot of time growing up a lot, a lot of it taking place on the road, um, b but watching these films and kind of processing them um, in isolation on my own and not really being able to throw around ideas with other people and just, I would just kind of view it and then, you know, I would think about it, but then I just kind of moved on. And uh, yeah, in some ways I felt like I, I didn't really know what the things were that I truly loved. I just kind of would gravitate to certain films and watch them and then just kind of move on. And um, yeah, it's, I guess it made, in some ways it might even have to say something about um, community and friendship. And that's that um, you have other people that you're, you're, you're sharing your, your love for stories with and that becomes contagious in a way and you just you want to keep talking about it and you want to tell the other person about it and but i also think that like story probably has a much bigger impact in on your life when you're uh like you get in a fight with someone that you're close to and now a whole lot of stories become relevant to you right. yeah you sure. know what i mean or anything in life you 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 your parent dies and it's now a whole lot of stories become relevant and help you through it. But, you know, and I think that that's a, um, but uh, that's a great point. We were just talking about that. I know, but, uh, recently, um, how, yeah, I just think that what, what you were describing earlier is probably a lot of people's, um, relationship to, you know, movie going and, and, and fiction and yeah. fiction in general, which yeah. is kind of like, uh, uh, what is it you know get it dump it get it dump it you know sure. and, and and uh they don't really sit on it it's for kind of more transient yeah and really. you can't blame them because especially because it's like you know you don't have many people to talk to about it and it's like what's there to talk about you know this happened and that happened and which also goes into well which is funny because there's always something that i i think about actually a lot with we talk about this a whole time mm -hmm. so you know we're sitting here uh, staying in chicago and we just went by a movie rental place that you suggested, mm -hmm. which was excellent because they have like everything. And we, yeah. we rented um, a couple of films, one by Tarkovsky and the other one by, uh, was it Brisson? Brisson, yeah. And, and that we've been meaning to watch for... What's it called? You can shout out, shout out to... The Sacrifice the and the Diary the, of the no, Country no, Priest. No, the, yeah. the place. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, Odd Obsession. Okay. Odd Obsession. So if you're in Chicago, you should check that out. Um, and it was it was excellent, but even kind of being in there and uh, just being in, uh, in the midst of all of that is it's it's 
I mean, for it's something that I just love so much. And then to come home and, you know, so we have this limited time to spend with you. And we're choosing to at least carve out probably five hours worth to watch these two films, to watch The Sacrifice and, and Diary of a Country Priest. Yeah. And it's it's always been interesting to me because I've never felt like watching a, a film or a TV show or whatever it is, I always believed that that really was a connection with people. Mm-hmm. That's something that's always something interesting with me is people kind of go like, oh, I don't, I'd really rather spend time with you. I don't want to go watch something with you. I want to talk with you. Nothing against that. Yeah. But for me, I love this idea of, well, let's watch this thing together because we are now going to experience this and we will have different opinions on it and we're talking about what life really is about. It's not just putting your heads off into the clouds. On the contrary, it really is about like, getting deeper into what is true yeah know? it's like this idea of like you know we've talked about the quotes a lot like you know uh, uh, stories or you know fantasy is more than true in right. a sense right yeah i mean yeah i can definitely take on forms of escapism but it can also um more more uh deeply immerse you in the reality of life i mean exactly yeah. And, you know, what you were saying about coming around, too, is, and it's, uh, I feel like in every episode I'm quoting specifically, like, there's a lot of, you know, Tolkien and a lot of Lewis that winds up coming up, which makes sense because you've got these two titans from fantasy, but there's a quote from Lewis where he says, uh, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you two, I thought I was the only one. Right. And it feels like that's a lot of what we're talking about here and how we got along, is that you were saying... It's it's because it's so interesting because you're one of the people that I would say most it, it has this affinity for these things mm-hmm. and you seek it out actively mm-hmm. and it's funny that you say like you know you don't feel like some of that came into full fruition until you came around us but I think that maybe I don't know if that resonates with you I imagine so yeah it's like oh my gosh I, there's other people like me out there yeah. which makes sense that you know our our good friend Jonathan would say. I think you'd like these guys. Right. Because <laughs> he probably was like, oh, you, this, this is your tribe. Yeah. And God bless them. Yeah. You know, know. You know I'm eternally thankful for introducing them to uh, us to each other. So with that, um, let's talk about Psycho. Yeah. And let it, I should start by saying, we were really, we're like, that's the one you want to do? Are you yeah. sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why is that the one you want to do? Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there's like the anecdote I just shared about sure. that being a huge point in our relationship where we were um, really making a, a deep connection through through film. Um, and, and that yes, was your first time watching it. Right? It, was, it was my first time watching it. And, I, and even, yeah, I mean, uh, despite the fact that we thoroughly enjoyed the Three Colors trilogy, um, that was, I mean... That was also one of my first introductions to foreign cinema, and I'm—I mean, I was watching it with you, and uh, just being able to watch it with another person, somebody who is open-minded enough to watch this foreign film, uh, this like weird, um, semi-romantic, sensual, dramatic, uh, and like even somewhat um, existential kind of yeah. trilogy. I, 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 I mean, I, I had no exposure to that, that, that kind of cinema. Um, and I enjoyed being able to watch that with you, but psycho was significant in our relationship because I remember 
that that film ended and we looked at each other and grinned and we we're like that was fucking fantastic um and yeah it just it just blew my socks off i i, I loved it um and for me like it was it was also like i was finally being able to see this hitchcock picture that i'd always wanted to see because you grew up watching a lot of hitchcock right yes yeah um which so did we but it was we t- I think we just recently talked about like to, ca- to catch a thief was I think one of the first yeah was one of the first times I realized like how great you know as a young kid when you're wanting to watch movies with dinosaurs or monsters or robots and yeah and you don't really want to watch the older pictures yeah to catch a thief was one of the first films I watched where I was like this oh my gosh it can be this good yeah and it's funny because it's not, not even one of my favorites th- at this point that was yeah Hitchcock's work yeah it's great but sure yeah but so um, you had grown up watching a lot yeah and I mean. This goes into answering your question, why Psycho? But Rear Window was the first film I'd watched that uh, I, w- I walked away from it feeling changed and feeling like this this transcends mere ent- entertainment and this is something completely different. And how could something be crafted so masterfully? Like, I, I want to see more of these. Um, and so Hitchcock has always held a special place in my heart for that reason. And I spent a lot of time uh, growing up finding any Hitchcock film I could watch that. I mean, and I, I could pretty much watch any other Hitchcock film, but just with Psycho was was the one that earned the, the R rating and, yeah. you know, has the um, the famous shower scene and everything. So, um, Which it is still even somewhat jarring today. I, I will say to look back and go, wow, you can see how this really, because it had such a hard time with the yeah. censors. Like it, in, in, it was, it's infamously, it had a hard time with it because, you know, so many people were saying, well, you know, it really looks like you can see parts of, you know, her body, so much of her body in yeah. the shower scene. And so that yeah. was very controversial. Mm-hmm. And then the toilet flushing, that was another one. Yeah. Because it was the first time that they shown a toilet flush in a film, which is funny because you go, okay, well, so you have, <laughs> You know, one that makes more sense and one that makes less, at least from this perspective sure. at this time. But yeah. even watching it, because I just rewatched it, you know, last week. I think yeah. we all did, and mm-hmm. it it really is one that is some of the stuff that that is in there, even from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, when, the opening when, with her in her panties. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting. You watch that and you go like, oh, I can see why yeah. in 1960 this kind of pushed the envelope. Yeah, um, it's even kind of jarring to look at this movie and think about the time it came out and everything and see that R rating and you think about what garnishes and like I cannot see this ever having gotten an R today yeah you know no definitely yeah and so uh, so now this is and here's where I guess it kind of turns into an interesting point is when we talk about what you get from Psycho so you know as always for those listening at this point now we're going into spoiler territory um if you have not already surpassed it somewhat yeah a little bit yeah i mean if you don't i I think that you know the shower scene before because yeah i was actually thinking that myself because i'm like i hadn't seen psycho in its entirety until that time we watched it together which is mind-blowing to me um especially when i watch it i uh, i feel like i i we've had this discussion before but i actually believe like it's his best film yeah which sounds so cliche to say Mm -hmm. um I know. I know. There's a few. It's such there. a hard thing to judge, but it I, is. It's but but it's it's just so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's. I mean, I guess I can get into it now. But I was gonna like talk about uh, the fact that Psycho was. I mean, we could go on and on about how un- unconventional that film was, 
But one of the things I find interesting is uh, the film that he had made prior to Psycho was North by Northwest. Wow. And North by Northwest, um, you know, is obviously it's, it's in full color, um, but it's also very polished and pristine and um, beautiful to look at. And like, I mean, Psycho's, I mean, uh, Hitchcock is doing all kinds of crazy stuff with the camera um, and um, really good film. But when you compare that to what he ended up doing after that, which was this black and white film, and he used a different crew. He used the, he used the crew that he had for North by Northwest was his like, um, kind of like featurette crew that he was doing for all of his new films. But he decided with Psycho to go back to the crew that he had for his television show. And he wanted them because he wanted to be able to catch that, uh, unusual, strange kind of, um, cheap feeling. Uh, it's been called like, um, cheap exploitation kind of look. Um, and it works. Yeah, it works. It, it works really well. Um, Even watching it this time, this that latest time around, watching some of the camera movement and stuff, I was like, that's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And watching it recently, I was, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's like what I just said about it being looking cheap. It doesn't, it doesn't look cheap so much as it looks, um, it looks like you're seeing all these things that you shouldn't be seeing. Um, even the, like the voyeurism of the way that the camera pans into the window in the opening scene. And it just like, is kind of like crawling into the window and like the light is coming on and you're seeing Janet, Lee, Janet Lee there in her panties and with this other guy and they're not married. And for at that time, I trust it's well, and, and at, the, at that time it would have been scandalous to have them her in her panties with her husband, but it's not her even her husband. Like they're having a, like, I mean, I guess it's not an affair, but they're, you know, yeah. It was unconventional to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, psycho psycho was breaking, um, so many rules for film and I mean, we'll get into it further, but it just, the list goes on when it comes to, uh, how many, daring like risks uh, Hitchcock was taking with this film um, and I think that I mean it shows that he was taking these risks in that um, he like I mean he had to he had to budget I mean he had to uh, fund it himself and that that goes to show like how risky it was because it's not like Hitchcock didn't have a following at this point it wasn't reputable I mean right it's kind of absurd that he had to like fund it primarily on his own, but he, I guess he couldn't get Paramount to sign to on back it, right. or something, but hmm. yeah, I didn't know a lot of that. Well, so speaking of, you know, kind of moving into the, like, you know, so much of what we like to do here is, is we, we say, okay, what's so great about this film? Why is this film so great? How does it pertain to us? So talking about the themes, where do we want to start with that? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, Let's start at the beginning, right? Okay. Yeah. Because what's one of the things that was interesting to me watching this next time is that I I was so interested to look at how it really plays in the three acts. Yeah. Really well. Yeah. And the three acts are almost different. They feel like different pictures. When you think yeah. of Psycho, when I yeah. when I think when I think of Psycho, when yeah. I go back to it, yeah. Of course, you think of the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you think of Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Because he's 
phenomenal in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah. Uh, you think about the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about scenes like that, and we'll get into those later, but what I kind of, what kind of escapes me a little bit is, like we said, the, you know, workday tryst, or the stealing of the money, and yeah. that, you know, when the her boss sees her on the street and like gives her a second look, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Those parts kind of get faded away, but that was one of the things that I think was the most interesting to start off with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like, <laughs> the technique that that Hitchcock is employing in in it having this like almost like a three 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 part a uh, three part film um i i think it's so effective and it's so it it works so well with the the first kind of plot twist that takes place in leading up to that because it, it, it feeds into like the you're it's completely unexpected like you don't the first first plot twist being Oh, being that the protagonist is killed off in the first third of the film. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about her arc. Mm-hmm. Anything from that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, probably my favorite part of the entire film is that uh, I love the scene when the night before... Uh, she gets murdered and he gives her a sandwich and he talks about uh, private traps. I loved that um, idea because it's like, well, for one, he talks about how um, you're born into them or you set them out yourself. You know what I mean? So it's like you're kind of inevitably in a private trap. And, uh, you know, it's just very obvious that she um if she had not made these decisions that she would not have been in the she would not have died you know um so uh not that i think i mean she and it's sad because it's like you know it shows that she was i believe she was going to return because she you know she was writing out the how much she spent which was the 700 and and the night at the hotel and and she, I think she, right? Uh, I took that as, I didn't I take it that, as her, I took it as her trying to keep in mind of how much money she had. I didn't know that she was going to return it. I, I got a feeling that she was maybe going to head back, but maybe she was not. having second thoughts. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I think I, I thought she was, but she might not have. And once again, I don't think she deserved to die by any means, but at the same time, it is something where. It's interesting um, that her decisions, her decisions led her there. And it's like, you know, as, as much as that's uh terrible thing you know um yeah the punishment certainly doesn't fit the crime no however but, however you know she she's really set out that private trap for herself you right, know um right. so yeah. to speak and yeah. and uh and then with him uh he also kind of trapped himself you know and granted and we'll get into this i later. guess they're both you're yeah. right they're both those different things she yeah. set one out for herself ahead of time he yeah. was born into it this trap yeah 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 which and I, th- I think that 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 uh dialogue that they're having um in the parlor um while she's eating the sandwich every time it it uh gives me chills and it really i mean that I, I just i love that scene and it reveals so much about norman's character and his philosophy in that statement even of 
mm-hmm. born into a trap or I set out this trap. Um, and it's just a, I don't know, it's a very uh, fatalistic way of viewing the world. And I mean, and when you learn more about Norman later, it starts to make sense why he would see, I don't know, that, that being like you fall into, you fall into this category or this category. Mm-hmm, right. um, it's very dismal and dark. And, uh, and it, it's just so eerie and chilling the way he, I mean, they're sitting in that room, that parlor with all these stuffed birds and he's talking about his interest in taxidermy and yeah. so weird. Uh, and then he even mentions, he's like, you eat like a bird and you're just like, what the heck? Like, yeah. It's so eerie, and, and I do have to say, Seth, that I love that you brought that up, because that was the first thing watching it through this time that really struck me, is I was like, oh, like, she didn't have to end up there. Yeah, right. Her decisions yeah. were, were, really were, led her there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Which was really interesting watching yeah. this through, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think this would be a good time to bring up some something uh, uh, in regards to, I guess, like Hitchcock's Hitchcock's approach to this film, which I think kind of fuels a lot of his work, but specifically with Psycho, um, in one of his interviews, he talks about how he made this movie for the audience. And I think that this this film is a... It's a prime candidate for uh, explaining Hitchcock's desire to elicit a reaction out of the audience, but also to engross them and to draw them in um with with mary and crane's story arc you're watching the film and she's the main character and you're i mean with with any film you're you're focused on her and you're interested in her and you're kind of placing yourself in her shoes so to speak right um and so she's the protagonist of that moment yeah and so the way that she's making her decisions and she's she decides to steal 40k from this person like uh and i mean i think it's mentioned that she worked at that bank for eight years or something or 10 years yeah she's a well-established employee yeah and so and but I, i i uh in light of what i'm saying about hitchcock trying to uh draw the audience in and like to also get them to um, identify with the characters. I found it interesting watching it through this time and seeing myself and like even like the desire to do what she did. Like, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy that she ends up going in like throwing everything away for this guy because she wants to pay for his alimony. But the way that like the the film so carefully plays along and has has her entertain the idea and then she takes the money back to her room and she's looking at it and she keeps glancing at it and you and you and and you and you you're wanting you're like i mean for, in order for this film to be interesting you kind of want her to go along with the whole gap i don't know you're just kind of like yeah like yeah. i i want you to see this money i want to see what happens Um, and so when, I mean, obviously once things start to take a turn and we, um, lose the protagonist, it's the question then becomes like, what's the focus now? What are, what are we, what is the audience interested in and invested in at this point? 
which John, not to draw too much into that, because I don't want to linger too much on one point when we're only like a third way through the movie, maybe. But I thought I had the same thing. Oh, well, I was, I was I thinking about her. Like I was thinking about myself in that situation, and I understand her and her motives. Yeah, and I understand well, her desire to do this. Yeah, and I, I. So it's been a while that I've watched it before I watched it this week, and um, I mean like years and years. So watching it this time, like I was so upset i was, I did not remember she died that early and i really liked her you're led to believe the whole time that it's going to be about marion and especially when she encounters norman that that's the point for me at least i i'm it and it's hard because like i mean I, i've seen the movie several times now um but I think for the first time viewer, you're, you're reaching that point and you're, and you're wondering like what's going to happen with their relationship with Norman and Marion. Yeah. And it's, it's a very interesting relationship. And she, she takes such a, she has so much compassion for him when he's talking about his relationship with his mother and you're even, I mean, it's not, I don't know if it's quite enough that there's enough there for the audience just start to wonder, is there like, is there a possibility for a romance here? Mm -hmm. How long is Norman going to be along in this story? Is this just a, um, you know, just going to be like an episodic, she shows up at the motel and then they move on. But, Mm -hmm. um, at that point in the film, I think you're, you're asking like, you're, you're, I don't know. You're, you're just, you're thinking that, uh, I guess it's just, uh, the point I'm trying to get across is that, at this time there was there i don't i think i can say this with full confidence that there, there wasn't a film that existed where the protagonist was gone within the first third of the film i just don't think that that, yeah. that was unprecedented yeah. and so like for us now there are other films that have done that it's aside still, from psycho it's still a risky move it is a risky move today and yeah today. but we're we're um we're so desensitized at this point in like there's not really anything in film that hasn't been done and for many of us that we haven't seen but in 1960 for these people this was this was unbelievable um and so there's just something to be said for that and like not forgetting what how this film was affecting viewers at this time yeah well and we'll probably dive into it more because i I mean as the as we talk about film and movies and you know, it, but the, I, I always like when directors uh, don't pander to anybody, especially in the business because it's such a business heavy uh, money driven uh, beast Hollywood is you know what I mean so yeah, I, I like yeah. the fact so and Hitchcock did not pull punches with this and he didn't compromise and there's something to be said about that and there's a a few, only a few other directors I feel like that are like that um, sure so and then you move into the because again like I said it's almost like three separate movies right mm-hmm. so it, it's like you start off and it's like a, a suspense and it and it kind of evolves into almost like a half-sided mystery yeah because we as the viewer know okay Marion Crane died by, quote unquote, the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother killed Marion Crane because X, Y, Z. Now this detective comes on the scene, 
okay? And he's trying to figure out what's going on in this house. Yeah. Uh, and then the last act kind of, I think, turns... PI, I believe, it, yeah, yeah, sorry, private investigator, yeah. And then it, it, it kind of turns into, goes into this, like, full-fledged horror, you know? Yeah. You kind of start to see the horror is it's, like, full... Um, in all its glory, or in all its chaos, uh, once her sister shows up there with uh, her mm-hmm. lover, yeah, her Ekwall, I guess. You know. Yeah, and and so, and so now I'm kind of thinking about you know well the next you know uh, portion of the film is the private investigator, yeah, and following him, and again kind of that like half of. Uh, mystery this guy who's trying to you know unearth this case and try to get down to the root of what's going on and it's interesting because i'm going through we're going through a lot of the the steps of the film but i i really want to keep talking more about what it means where we're concerned so i don't know if you guys have more about that aspect Mm -hmm. um yeah you know what i mean well it's almost treating it like three separate yeah yeah sure well and you bringing up the second part being about the private investigator it's funny because I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm totally thinking the second part is about Norman. Um, it is. Uh, I, I should say that the second. It, the second part is about Norman, but the second part follows the private investigator. I feel like kind of, but uh, the 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 cool flip that takes place in the second part is that the viewers. I mean, the their protagonist has been killed, so their involvement in the film has been killed, so to speak. So then it has to find a new person, and it takes on the identity of Norman as he's mopping up her blood. Yes, absolutely. And, but it's it's strange because at that point you're like you don't know that Norman is the killer. At that point, you think he's innocent, mm-hmm. and so he's just this this friendly, uh, this sweet guy who's in a bad circumstance. Yeah, and. So, like, your attention starts to go to him, um, and then, I mean, you, you see the, the way that he, I mean, he's obviously trying to hide what happened and trying to protect his quote-unquote mother, uh, and then uh, sticking her into the trunk of the car and then uh, driving the car into the lake. Um, and, again, just something else I, I, I want to say about how this affects the audience or how this affected me is that... Uh, in in your uh, in your almost like transference of interest going from Marion to Norman, you're starting to like root for him and want for him to succeed in whatever it is he that he's doing, and he's doing this. Like, Which is so twisted. Yeah. It's so twisted. But when when the car is thinking, you mean? Yeah. Yes. And so and then the car. Which why that's stressful. That's so yeah. <laughs> and then the car, it it's it's almost sunk, but it's it's still showing the hood of the car showing. And it stops, and the camera goes back to Norman's face, and he's he's got a look of consternation. You're like, oh, shit, he's going to have to figure out how to actually get this car to completely submerge. And then, to your relief, the car keeps sinking into the lake, and you're like, all right, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's we, just, we did it. Yeah, it's so, it's so rude. Yeah, because it's so, cause it's yeah. so creepy. Yeah. I, I don't think I felt like that. I wasn't really rooting for him. But really, no. Well, I don't know, I, but I, 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 but I, I think that this is why we were afraid but, to do psycho with each other. <laughs> no, and I wouldn't say I was rooting either. But I don't. Don't you think that you you do have that level of suspense? Like, oh my gosh, it might not sink. Yeah. And then you kind of go like, why? You know, I mean, yeah. I hope it doesn't. Yeah, sink, and know? even if you haven't fully uh, put put your like your full interest in Norman at this point, 
for the sake of the plot, at least I was wanting. I'm like you. I want you to be able to. Well, I put my, I put my full interest in him. I I would say that. Like, yeah. yeah he, I, I do agree that he embodies like the uh, the plot by that point. You know, like the the core of the plot and who. Yeah. Well, so, he's. I mean, he's. Well, always been my favorite part of this film. Well, and to go back real quick to the whole scene with him and the girl. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Crane. Miss yeah. Crane. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that that scene specifically, that their uh, back and forth was just like, that was a true testament to the acting of both these. Oh, absolutely. You know, in like how real it felt compared to what came yeah. out in that time. And yeah. Yeah. Like, it just felt like a conversation that honestly would happen yeah. today in a movie, which yeah. is saying so much. That, that's one of the things that always impressed me so much. Mm-hmm. With of That's why I say that Anthony Perkins is my favorite part of this film. Sure. It's because yeah. his acting in it feels so raw in comparison mm-hmm. to everything else. Not to say that there wasn't great stuff out there. Yeah. I love, you know, the, well, I could go on forever naming actress and actresses that I love from that mm-hmm. time period. Yeah. It has nothing to do with that, but yeah. for him specifically, I'm always so taken aback at just how naturally he plays charming and uncomfortable mm-hmm. in tandem. Yeah. He's kind of a charming person, and then yeah. you're also so weirded out by him. Yeah. And he draws you in and pushes you away mm-hmm. simultaneously yeah. throughout the entire yeah. picture. Yeah, and it makes it makes the transition almost seamless from Marianne to Norman, and that... That's not an easy transition to make. It's jarring for the audience. But yeah. at that point, you're so interested in Norman and who his character is, and specifically it being played by Anthony Perkins and being, like you said, so charming, that there's this strong allure there, and you're just you're drawn mm-hmm. in. Which yeah. I think more has to do with... <laughs> you're not, it's not that you're hoping he'll get away with it by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. When the car's mm-hmm. thinking, mm-hmm. that's not what anybody's saying. I don't think I <laughs> But there's an element where it, you do feel stressed out you you can feel his emotions yeah. going through the film. Right, yeah. right. You're in that moment of tense, that oh, tense moment. Well, where and car's I will say you're pulling for him in the sense that he didn't do the murder. You're also like this poor guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you're you're that he's just he's so because the big thing. It's not I, just diabolical. It's like it's logical. Yeah, um, like he's trying to protect his mother. Yeah, and it's you know, um, which is a huge thing that I. Uh, you know, remember, I think it was very good that I didn't see this movie um, for so long because I got to be honest with you, I knew everything. Like I knew he was the killer and all that, but what I forgot was that his mother, I forgot the whole skeleton scene, which I don't know how I forgot that at the end when, you know, you see that she's oh, been yeah, dead. That seems that, like yeah. permanently ingrained in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what was fascinating is that I, I kind of was carrying this idea of, um, wait, you didn't know, you didn't know that what, that she's, he didn't know that his mother was dead. I see. I see. Yeah. So I was like, I was kind of, um, I was shocked by that because the whole time I was kind of not rooting for him at all, but I felt bad for him and I especially felt bad for him because I've actually been like looking into quite often just out of interest, like, uh, emotional incest have you guys heard about this no. it's it's like when a um it's like when a uh parent treats a child like a partner at a very young age you know what i mean and it's it's in, in my son is a poor substitute for a lover <laughs> yeah uh, but that's a direct right word, right word. so they mm-hmm. yeah. so it's just fast it, it was fat i mean it, it was almost like um and i knew but when you, you 
when you mentioned you wanted to do psycho and already I, I had been looking into you know that just that just, just that really topic like mothers and children well, can have well parents, parents and yeah. children can have for sure um but and it's a whole thing it's actually interesting to look into but with this film specifically i'm like it just but there's a level two where I, obviously there was some um I would say emotional incest going on there, but on the flip side, I don't, I, I do question what, um, which I know there's a TV show now that's out that I've actually heard is pretty good. What, Bates Motel? Bates Motel, have you watched it? Um, I watched it about, uh, I think I watched it to the beginning of season two, and it, is it, it held my interest. I think, I mean, you know, for those who don't know, Bates Motel is... Um, supposed to become come before Psycho, so mm. it's um, it's like a, a prologue to Psycho, and uh, it's well done. It's interesting, you know. It, it is what it is. But I was just kind of I, di- I didn't know for sure the relationship that she did have be- with with um, Norman because his mother because I don't know. I mean, obviously it wasn't a healthy one, mate. No, we but, come to find but out. But he kills. He kills. She her is with the person she was with, right? Yeah, I don't know if he just had some really deep seated issues from the beginning, and she yeah. festered that, or well, that's one of the things that's so interesting to me. Is that, that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's so interesting to me is that even when you bring up the show, because okay, mm-hmm. so when we watched it, um, I actually watched it with. Uh, the last time I watched it with our, our youngest brother and our cousin. You've watched the show? Caleb. No, I'm sorry. Oh. I watched the, the film. Okay. The last time I watched it. And when we, were, when we were all watching it together, I brought up afterwards, I was like, I'm kind of interested in this Bates Motel because I think the concept's really interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so much that could be done with it. Yeah. Because there's 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 so much, much mythology mm-hmm. left unexplored yeah. in the film itself. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's a give and take to the idea of making a television show based off of it because on one hand it'd be really interesting to see how they decide to play that out yeah. on the other hand that's part of what's so interesting about another thing that's so interesting about the film is yeah. that there's so much stuff you don't know sure obviously their relationship must have been yeah completely messed up yeah in order for it to have gone this way that's mm-hmm. clear yeah. uh, but to have gone and, and even the idea of like because he was obviously taken with her in a way that was incredibly unhealthy that's one of the things that is so interesting to me in watching i think about it whenever i rewatch the film yeah. is how hard it must be yeah. to figure out the film if you when you're watching it for the first time yeah because you see him move her body yeah it's so it, there's so yeah. many interesting twists yeah. into it. but the fact that he would keep her body and then yeah. preserve it it's just so well and the voices so they change oh it's so yeah. scary yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, going into that, what you're saying about this, the dynamic between Norman and his mother, I think, I think that the, what's taking place, and based on what is shown in the film, in specifically with the conversation that Norman has with Marion in the parlor, it, it's made plain that the mother, his mother was very controlling and manipulating and even i mean like that even comes out in the you know the manifestation that he takes on of being the mother when he's in the hotel and you can hear his him using the mother's voice Mm -hmm. and that's not just like that's not this like 
different version of his mother. Like that's actually the version of his mother that he remembers. So that, I think that just that alone shows that the, the controlling nature of Norman's mom, I think that that, I think that that fostered and gendered, but also trained Norman to be the way that he is and still having this, um, loving relationship, but also like repellent relationship with his mother. Um, yeah, and I, I just think I think it's really fascinating, and I think it's um, like you said, Sean. I think that the mystery that's behind it, and not knowing the full details, I think that only contributes to um, the story and to like the, the the character of Norman. Um, yeah, and as we said, you know, already we've already just that I think that there is. I understand the appeal of wanting to explore all of that, and mm-hmm. I'm even interested and intrigued by that. But at the same time, it's so tempting to kind of just let it be mysterious because on the other hand how many times can you think of you know we're going to show you how the you know yeah. i don't know indiana jones got his scar on his chin but not that there's any actually kind of find that endearing in that specific example but there's a myriad of examples yes. of where it goes poorly yeah. yeah um i never needed to know how you know so and so got his name or so and so you know whatever mm-hmm. one more thing uh in this middle portion? Yeah, and leading up to uh, Marion's lover and her sister confronting Norman uh, and going back to the death of the private investigator, I just I just want to bring this up because I just I love this part in the film where the private eye goes goes up to the motel and um, and the private investigator he just walks up, walks through the front door, doesn't even knock or ring the doorbell, and uh, he decides to make his way up the stairs, and... Uh, he falls into a little private trap. Yeah, he, he does. <laughs> uh, but that scene, the way, the way that the camera is situated, and it's, it's, um, it's hovering over the, the stairwell in the hallway, mm-hmm. um, and it's this just, like... Uh, it's like the camera was directly above the hallway um, on the ceiling. And I mean, he's, he's been like quietly making his way up the stairs and the way that uh, the mother comes rushing out the side, the side room and then just starts hacking at him with the knife. Mm-hmm. And then Bernard Herman's score accompanying that it's so sh- like the shrill that comes with that, you know, the iconic, the iconic soundtrack. Yeah. Well, it's just that it, time specifically. It was so aggressive. It's so yeah, scary. But it's like, scarier I mean, to yeah, me, for me in ways. It's scarier than the shower scene because it, it just, is. every time I think, I think it gets it was, you. Yeah. Like you, you see uh, the mother's shadow in the shower in the shower scene, but you don't see it coming. I mean, well, and you don't. She's not quick. That's what was so yeah. terrifying. Is that you're like, yeah. why is this old lady that's, so? That's fast? exactly what I was gonna say. Is that the idea that when you're thinking about this old woman and then she moves so swiftly. Yeah. That's absolutely terrifying. It's so unsettling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and then there's um, the the private eye, um, you know, fumbling down the stairs. And then there's that cool uh, camera technique, which which I don't remember what it's called. But how are you describing it? To be honest with you, I hate the the fact that I can't remember it because ever since I think that the earliest memory I have from it might be Jaws. Yeah. Is when Roy Schneider is sitting there, you know what I mean, when you hear the, the, the screaming and he puts the paper down. And I think that the way that it is achieved is that the camera itself 
moves back, but the but it's simultaneously it's zooming, zooming in. Yes, that's exactly so it's zooming in while it's yeah. moving back, and yeah. it causes this shift where it, it's. I, I, I absolutely adore that technique, and the fact that I can't remember it right now. I mean, I, we could pause this honestly, right? But for the sake of uh, yeah. transparency, I'll let you know that I'm yeah, the no, name of it right no. now. But I think I, it's a pretty uh, a general name. It's, it's a pretty special, standard. It's yeah. a, but but I remember ever since I was a kid, uh, since I was very young, looking at this that that shot and going, wow. I don't understand how it's getting closer and farther at the same time. And then when I learned how it was a cheat, it's like a, I think a pan zoomer. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. But it's but yeah, they do this to to uh, the private investigator as he's falling down the stairs, which is a really trippy, weird, strange, unnerving scene. Which yeah, is, you know, par mm -hmm. for the course for this film. Yeah, right. So then, like we said, uh, you move forward to Sam, which is. Marion's lover, and then he's accompanied by Marion's sister, mm -hmm. uh, trying to figure out because I think that what was it because they they hadn't heard from the private investigator. Yeah, he, and he and he said that he would be back, and you know, yeah, they're just yeah, they're just there's general concern for what's going on. So they kind of go and start snooping around here, which is interesting because you know now so now you have another element and this is kind of the third portion of the film the final portion yeah, of the film yeah. where you have this kind of cat and mouse game going on between them um, and it's interesting too because I think this is the first time that you see Norman that uh, visibly unnerved shaken yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring up that very that very point yeah it's 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 interesting compared to the way that he is he's so even though he's a little bit awkward he's charming and um uh even kind of eloquent. He's inviting. He, yeah. 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 And then here he, he's just like, it's just a completely different person. And, uh, yeah, you, you're kind of, I don't know. I, I think at that point in the film, I started to wonder whether this guy was, uh, bona fide, like psych psychopath or sociopath right. and that he really knows what he's doing and that like, this isn't his first kill or, I mean, we know that it's not his first kill, but he's, it's interesting that at this point he's he's starting to feel like he's being sniffed out and that the, that he might get caught and you can see that in the way I mean when when the um, when Sam goes uh, to speak with him in the office and he's like asking for the guest book to see if there's a signature for Marion and uh, he just he he like immediately he it's almost like I mean and some people argue the believability of this point of the film because. Norman does not evade or he he doesn't evade the the request of him asking for the guest book he just like willingly obliges because he thinks that he's trying to play it cool but then that like clearly is giving away that her name is in there and then he's like well yeah she was oh, oh yeah well, she was here remember, right? yeah and you're and 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 that, I mean I don't know I, I don't know if people would make that uh or credit that as a fault for the film or in Hitchcock's eye and I but, don't think it is at all anyways because I mean like you know especially something with someone who believes their own lies they 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 you know he was betting on the fact that like kill him with kindness that's normal he's Bates clearly so yeah he's yeah. clearly so uh removed from society yeah. that I don't even think he knows when he's lying how that exactly works well for instance it's like you know? it's almost something where uh you know you'll if, if you like 
even look into like detective work and whatnot, like sometimes people will bet so hard that it exposes them. And right. that's exactly what that was. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. it, it's just him being like, yeah, sure. And then it's like, oh, like, what am I thinking? Like, right. of course this is going to, you know. Yeah. And then eventually he ends up knocking him over unconscious. Mm-hmm. Sam. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we have, um, Marion's, uh, two sister. reveals, right? Sorry, were you? Because you... you're talking about now. There's now come the two reveals. Yeah, which are mm-hmm. the reveal of the mother, and then the reveal of the mother, right. the mother of the body, and then the mother of the persona. Right. Yeah, I was just yeah going to say that the sister now goes up to the up to Norman's house and is, I mean, and prior to this we expected, uh, well, we were we were introduced to um, the sheriff and um, his wife. Um, Sam and Marion's sister ended up going to them, um, asking about Norman and asking, and, and they and they they bring up um, his mother and they and they they say, oh well, no, Norman's mother's been dead for so however long, and uh, and then the lingering question is, so who is whose body is has been if the mother's alive, yeah. who's buried in the yeah, they, and, which is absolutely horrifying again, yes. So the at this point, like the the sister's just expecting to find the mother, and that really like there really is somebody else in the coffin, and it's not um, Norman's mother. Um, so yeah, and then I mean, your the the element of surprise comes as soon as she she goes into the house and she ends up she decides to just you know go to the the basement first of all places, right? <laughs> and then uh, turns around the chair and. And that's one of those scenes that's always, it really stuck with me, is that spinning around the chair and looking at it. And I love these film, these scenes in, in films where um, they kind of, they, they stick with you and it's terrifying, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And my brain does something, I don't know about you guys, but my brain does something with this similar to Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is a brief spoiler, so just give ahead 30 seconds if you haven't seen Rosemary's Baby. But in Rosemary's Baby, when they talk about the baby at the very end, and they say that it has the, the father's eyes, yeah. and it terrifies me. I In my brain, I feel like I've seen the baby. Yeah. But I haven't. Yeah. You've seen the father earlier in the film, and then you see the baby, and it's absolutely it's terrifying. It's genius, yeah. But that is stuck with, and it's the same thing with this, where I almost picture it with like, it's a, I almost see it as like moving, almost like there's like worms or something yeah. hovering. But it's yeah. not It's not quite as... It, yeah. It's scarier in my brain right now than if I was to look at the picture. Yeah, your, it's brain, scary. your brain sensationalizes it. Yeah. Yes. And I was, even gonna, I was actually going to say that very thing about when uh, Norman comes rushing down the stairs at that point. Yes. Because That's my so memory of it is so far removed from like what you see on the on, in the film. Um and I prefer the version that's been, you know, that's been kind of fabricated in my mind because it's it's more terrifying. Mm-hmm. But it which one do you see? And it's and it's, and it's and it's still terrifying. What's the difference in the film? But in my mind, uh, he's there's something there's something uh, sinister and malevolent, malevolent about him rushing down the stairs and trying to um, assault Marion's sister, and that is kind of what's happening. But also, he. You you see Norman and he's he's not 
because he's taking on his mother's attributes and he's dressed as her he's more frail yeah 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 and it, it, it feels like like you you kind of you're confused and you I, I mean and i even kind of pitied him i was like what's what's what happened to this like norman that we've known this whole time now he's like acting like a woman but not i don't know he's just he's like delicate and i don't know it's yeah. interesting yeah he in 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 the, there's a few moments like this throughout the film another one being when you see the stabbing it's like think about all the blood you see yeah you don't really see there's not that much blood. blood no yeah and when and there is some but not but especially yeah. when he's when when oh during the stabbing no, yeah but your brain plays it up yep. which i think is a testament again to the excellent filmmaking yeah um, yeah and then you know obviously we get to the end mm-hmm. yeah which the end I, I i'm kind of of two minds on it which mostly is uh not liking it i, I feel like it kind of cheapened the whole thing which i know is yeah you know i don't know maybe i just don't even fully understand what what it is like i i don't understand if it's a uh, you know, like possession, or you mean the? Are you talking about the narrative of when when the uh, I'm uh, talking psychologist about... is explaining? Yeah, and I, I, it all makes sense to me in a way, but like I don't understand. So like, there's a level where it's like, which one is it? Is he is is this Norman taking his mom's persona onto himself, or is like his mom actually? You're asking, like, is it supernatural? Yeah. No, I don't think in any at all that it's supernatural. Okay. I think that the way that the... Oh, it's purely psychological. Yeah, I think that the way that the psychologist is... He's explaining it in a way that they will understand. I'm like, no, it's like the mother is in him. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the, I don't think that there is any element of the film that is supernatural. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that that's... I think that he's... Well, that's good. I, once again, I, I, I honestly didn't know. And, and I'm happy to hear that because I was kind of like, what the heck? Like, that really cheapens the whole thing. But, yeah, well, um, he speaks about it like it is an entity. He says there's yes, the mother. Does. There's yes. no more Norman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he also kind of is giving, I don't know if you remember, but he gives it almost like a knowing like nod where he's like, there's no Norman, there's the mother. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand what I mean when I'm talking about the mother. Yeah. And then yeah. he kind of tries to explain the persona yeah. that he's created, which is his interpretation yes. of an aspect of her personality. Which then kind of makes Norman a victim again, which is kind of sad because it's like he starts to fall for... He starts to fall for, uh, you know, Crane. Right. Um, and then that's what ignites And then the mother part mother of him gets jealous him. because he felt like his mother was jealous of him. Which, in this again, goes into that strange, we don't know what the history was like. Yeah. Because according to, and I can't remember the exact year, but it, how the time period from what they say, from when they say that Norman had killed, well, we now know mm-hmm. that Norman had killed his mother and lover right um we can make an educated guess that that's what actually happened and if that happened norman must have been incredibly young yeah yeah and so then the question starts to become again which i think that this is one of those interesting uh it it kind of plays off that interesting idea of like is a serial killer born or made yeah um and i don't know what the answer is really here because and i don't i don't know what came first because again going back to that idea of the way that the the history of the film is so shrouded in mystery is that we don't know, was the mother responsible for how Norman turned out? Or was Norman's perspective of the mother different than, like, who was the real victim in that situation? Yeah. That's I what I was know. saying yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know which one, because I, I almost question, like, because I, I've even experienced that with people where there's levels where I'm like, your parents aren't that bad. 
Like, I think that you're your completely pers- your projecting. Though. Yeah, well, you're projecting, like, you're projecting your doubts on your parents' opinion of you. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, that's weird. You're making your parents, yeah. like, an avatar for the insecurities you have where your parents Correct. are concerned. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to avoid from making any generalizations, but I think that Norman and his mother are, uh, I think they share in the responsibility, uh, and, and in the fault of what kind of, I guess you could say like the product of Norman, but, um, I think it's something, there's something to be said about them both being, um, I mean, and this kind of comes out in Bates Motel, which, you know, that's, that's extra, extracurricular. It's not part of, you know, the true, I mean, the psycho movie, but is that they're both, there's, there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of crazy in both of them in, in the show. And I think that that's, that can often be the case, um, I mean, it doesn't have to be the case with this. And like, you know, I mean, we're, 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 we're speculating. We don't actually know, but I think that, I think that, I think that Norman was, you know, maybe one part born killer and maybe two parts made a killer, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no. And I, I, funny enough, I, I think that that goes perfectly even with the whole concept of, um, the, conversation with the private traps and stuff the responsibility aspect because i think that uh specifically where norman's concerned is that i do think that he was a victim to his mother yeah but then he had the he did have the decision at some point in his life especially when she he killed her so no but especially (laughs) maybe right before he killed maybe right before he killed her he definitely had a decision at some point in his life to uh remove himself from that um and he didn't which uh i think it's very easy to play the blame game with life because i do think a lot of people are born into a lot of bad situations and i think that a lot of people um choose to do make make poor decisions or not even choose to make poor decisions i think and even wrapping up with uh you know just to hit on that whole concept in itself is um, you know, I think that it's easy to go throughout life and, 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 and think like, you know, for instance, get in a car accident on your way to work and, and that's a terrible thing and you didn't ask for it, um, or be born into a bad family and, and, or, you know, abusive one and, and play. And there's so many things in life that you can't, you really can, uh, res- you can become resentful. Uh, be you know and, and to recontextualize what's happened in your own yeah and in in um i think that i think every i really do think that everyone's a victim you know um whether i think everyone's a victim but i think that your best strategy is to to recognize that and to try your best to avoid the traps that are set out for you and the huge way you do that is by uh looking at what you're responsible for and how you can best cultivate a positive outcome in your life you know what i mean um 
So, you know, and that goes back to even uh, Mary and, you know, with her decisions, we everyone could agree that they're poor, but it is sad because they were also not for her. And mm-hmm. then they had led to her dying. Yeah. You know, that she's definitely not a bad woman, you know, and, and that, that, that I, I was, I, we already addressed that and it's very upsetting, but I think that, um, you know, it is something where, yeah, I think that it's just easy to be like, to look at life. Be upset at the way things play out and say, well, nothing matters. You can be a good person and do good things for good for people and, you know, steal money for people and, and yeah. take that hit mm-hmm. and, and you, you know, and then you end up dead in the bathroom. But it's like at the same time, you know, either, yeah, nothing matters and everything's bad or everything matters and every little decision you make matters and it can lead to you becoming a hero or a monster. And, and Norman is the hero or the monster, whereas Marion is the dead or alive. Right. You know, like it, it can, each decision you make in your life can lead to you being dead or alive, hero or a monster, you know? Right. Um, right. So, and I think that this movie actually does portray that very well, especially with these two characters are, who are very different, who both have these private shops they set out for themselves and and um you know so yeah one more thing i wanted to bring up uh i need to kind of backpedal a little bit but um it's that i'm i'm pleased to find out that you were a little bit uncertain about the ending seth Mm -hmm. because a lot of people and i felt this way in watching the film feel that when the psychologist enters the room and starts explaining the psychology or like um, Norman's psyche and what's been going on and like the, you know, the way he's been a, uh, a cross-dresser and that he's like been taking on his mother's um, personality and mm-hmm. um, people have felt, critics have felt that it's been indulgent and have even like pointed out as like the one flaw of the film and yeah and i think but that, from a narrative standpoint is that right are they referring to it in a narrative standpoint as being a negative like okay now you're explaining everything that's just happened and it's gratuitous yes yeah that's it's funny when you said that you had a problem with it that's what i thought you were referring to yeah because i could understand but i, I get what you're meaning yeah. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't sound disingenuous, but like I, th- that is part. That was part of it. Sure. Like I kind of felt like it was like this. Uh, I almost felt like it would be like it. It was very obvious what was going on, um, in the sense of of him dressing. Like all they had to say was that that was him, and show the skeleton. As soon as the skeleton was shown, everything else was. Um, I felt like everything else just fell into place. Like it would have been good just having him. Oh, so you felt like the 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 I explanation felt, kind of was well, yeah. I felt more like confusing. It, well, no, yeah, I think it was. No, it's correct me if I'm wrong, but it, are you? It sounds more like you're saying that it is. Um, they overexplained. Well, they overexplained, and in overexplaining, they led you to believe that maybe, like, it almost like made him not the culprit to all this evil that was going on in the film. And I didn't like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it was a spiritual, or like, I, I think that was interesting. But I almost, I mean, I kind of thought of it in a way, like, I, I didn't, I was hoping that it wasn't a spiritual thing. But just because that, you know. Well, and I think the one reason why, uh, and 
John, I want to hear because you you started this by saying I'm glad that you brought that up, so I want to hear it. But I think that one reason that I think it works to have done that, I think that it's an easy it's easy for us. I even like at one point at one point one of the the people in the room goes, I know what's up. He's a transvestite. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's like, mm-hmm. not really, not exactly, <laughs> because I think that it would have been easy, especially at that time. For people, like, it's funny because we look at it and we go, oh, okay, I get it. Because of the state that we're in and what we know about psychology now and where we are at the year of 2019, we can look at that and go, okay, I see how a lot of things are going on. I think at that time period, it's like these people probably would be like, what is going Which is, again, a testimony to how, like, far ahead the film was is the fact Uh that it's like we're going to have a guy who's got multiple personality Mm -hmm. disorder on some level or it's... Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And you've got a guy, like, I always, I always kind of laugh when that guy does that. Yeah. It's like a tranny. And you're like, well, it's not quite, <laughs> yeah. calm down. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, yeah. like that guy. Yeah. He's like, not really. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you were saying you're glad he asked the question because. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think everything we've said kind of. Covered it. Well, not just covers it, but I think it, uh, it proves the point that like this was, this epilogue was necessary so to speak uh mm-hmm. and i think that it I, I don't i don't think it takes away from the film i can see i mean well, it, after it, this it, conversation i would agree with that sure but, yeah and and i mean yeah i mean you hit it on the on the nail sean it, it, like for the audience i think they would have been so utterly taken aback that they would not have known how to have begun to even process it it, would have, it would have been so <laughs> esoteric for the time and they would have been I mean, and and that's not that's not what Alfred wanted. I mean, that's not what Hitchcock wanted. He wanted for it to be able to affect the audience at the time. It wouldn't have made any sense for him to like overlook that. I don't know. Which again, I think, kind of you know, in a way, I, I want to give credit to the people who say that that they feel like that's a problem. Sure. They feel like it's you know explaining a little bit too much and showing the hand. Yeah. Because yeah. Would it have been crazy and super edgy? But it's like yeah, yeah. I think he made enough edgy like by. The yeah. fact that he had to fund this whole thing himself, he yeah. got fights with like the you know MPAA about like nine different things in the film. It's like I think yeah. he was pushing his envelope a little bit. I think it's okay that he added that last bit in there, but I can understand from a purely artistic standpoint at this time yeah. why someone would look yeah. at it and Absolutely. say, yeah. "Did we need that part?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the answer is in 1960 yeah. in America, yes. Mm-hmm. So one other thing I wanted to bring up um, as a potential critique for Psycho is. Um, the paranoia that sets in with Marion when she's being followed by the police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I watched it with some friends this time around, they immediately were chiming and saying, oh, come on, like, really? Like, she's, she's, she has no stealth about her and has, like, no, like, or not propriety, has no, like, uh, awareness of how to deal with the situation. And that that would just be, like, common sense. Yeah, the only thing I would say, and I, yeah, funny enough, I, I, I do agree with you. I, I was thinking the same exact thing, and I just thought this right now. As I think about my wife in that situation, <laughs> and, like, my wife would maybe steal money for me because she cares about me. And my wife might also if confronted by a police officer, do those exact things. So, yeah, I think it might be a testament. <laughs> I'm thinking about your wife. Yeah. And I, yeah. So I'm like, that might be a testament to how good of a person she actually was. was that, she, that she handled that so poorly. Because it's like, 
you know that's not the person that she is not at all if it, so, if so, it was the person that she was it would be easier for her to do that's that that's why she was like and can, can, I, know can, I, go? can I go can I go can I go cuz like I, you know if you yeah she's she's you know selling her car and buying the new one and trying to drive away with her new car while the police officer is like pulled up behind her and is like walking towards her getting her stuff yeah, yeah and mean, you're just like this i mean yeah but you, you yeah but you're right though. That's uh, I. I never. I wouldn't think about it that way until you like, actually again. Like you brought up your wife, and you're like, if you're that genuinely good of a person who means well, yeah. you would be. Yeah. A clean, yeah. Might be clumsy about. Yeah, that. and I don't want to throw even even the idea for taking the money was like so easy to do. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's not because they she, just gave she, it to her. They gave because they trusted her. It's not like she had to make any sure. moves that were like sure risky. Even yeah. when even when they talked about it, even when like. Marion's sister is talking about her. Mm-hmm. She's like, she wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's not how she is. So it's yeah. a perfect that movie. That's sense. what we came down to. Yeah. No. Well, what was your point? Though? No, yeah. but I don't want to throw everything back on it being like, I don't know, like this, like anachronism of it, not because this was filmed in 1960. This this makes it make sense, but I I do think there's a way in which society was different and like people reacted to these situations very differently than they would today. Yeah. So I think that I, I really do think that that feeds into the believability of the steps she's taking and like her reaction to the police and yeah. not, yeah, I, I just think time and place matter. It does. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I think that, I think that with, I mean, it's, uh, I think it does a, uh, a huge it give, it's a huge discredit to Hitchcock to bring something I mean and I only wanted to bring this up because this is just something that I observed and like my friends observed and watching it recently but that I, I think that Hitchcock had such a keen and sharp eye for what he was doing and for something like that it wasn't I, I don't think that that's the kind of thing he could have overlooked I think that that was simply just the way it was and the way he wanted it he truly wanted it to be um, and yeah, I, I, so anyways, I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I think Psycho will forever be in my top three favorite horror films. Um, and Hitchcock, I mean, I, I think, I don't know if there's anybody who can replace him as being my favorite director, um, of all time. Um. Which kind of, I guess, explains why this is what you picked for that, for, yeah. for this episode. Also, yeah. the fact that you said that we watched it together. Is this, was it these yes. reasons? Yeah. So, let me ask you this then, to close. Because we've talked about it a little bit. You, Seth, specifically had some insight on, like, the takeaways for the film. What would you say, in terms of how you use it, and the lesson you learn from it. Is there something that you, John, would say that you get from the picture in terms of like a greater, other than just the fact of, you know, yeah. aside from how great a film it is technically, yeah, yeah. and other than the clear messages like, you know, don't murder your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't know. This isn't a um, didactic or like... Uh, like moralistic kind of film where you like, I mean, where you're supposed to like derive a moral from it, like you're saying. And I think, um, I 
think that it, when it comes to horror films, this this is one of the benchmarks. And um, and yeah, I mean, you you said like uh, in terms of um, technicality, but also uh, I mean, it's so much more than just technicality. It's it's uh, it's the actors and it's the script and it's the um, there, there's so many moving parts and uh, this, this film shines in every, um, in every respect in my mind. Uh, so, no. But, <laughs> so no, there's nothing to take from it. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, I think, I think that, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting tale of, um, even, you know, I, you know, I think, I mean, you can say what you will about Freud, but I think that the, I've always thought that the uh, idea of the Oedipus complex to be fascinating. I think that um, that I think that, that you know, I mean, that's around the time that Freud was kind of um, becoming a household name, and I think that uh, I think that the the familial uh, um, ramifications um in this film are are so powerful and can be you know can be translated to like i mean in just speaking in terms of like uh any any family anybody who's been in a family that's um uh, faced some sort of trauma or abuse or emotional um i mean especially emotional abuse um and i think that you know, there's, there's not this, like, there's not this obvious message or takeaway that I have for this film, but I think that, like, Hitchcock wants with, with, to do with most of his, his work, I think that it causes you to think about the, the depths of human depravity, and, um, and in this specific picture, the, um, the loss and the void of a healthy like family uh dynamic and like i guess like what can happen when um those things are not in place um i think that it's it's not a it's not a it's not a tale to um teach you to be wise it's a tale um maybe to the wise i don't know well and i actually think that's a great answer considering the fact that I think it's very indicative of you that that would be your answer <laughs> because you have a, a naturally uh, scholastic disposition. And I guess with that, I appreciate you. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm yeah. really glad to have done this. This is, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, and thank you all for listening. Uh, we're going to end it there. And... Uh, as always, you know, we hope you'll like, subscribe, follow us, whatever it may be. Until next time. Peace. Peace out. <laughs>